Beyond the Fence Line, a podcast brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust. Created by landowners for landowners, we're proud to play a role in conserving the Texas legacy of wide open spaces. Welcome to Beyond the Fence Line. Uh, on our third episode, we have Bob McCann uh, with us, uh, fifth generation Texas rancher and a top board member. So uh, welcome, Bob. Thank you, Chad. Good to be here. Well, Bob, I mean, how about we just start off a little bit and you tell us about your family ranch, you know, down there at the coastal plains of Texas. Sure. Uh, well, we, uh, my great-great-grandfather put the uh, property together uh, back in 1877. And uh, so uh, he was the first one that uh, came down and uh, kind of, kind of put some of, some of the land together and purchases and then there some some of it purchased uh, later in 1900 north of Victoria, Texas. But uh, our main family ranch there is uh, at McFadden and that was our, uh, my great great grandfather's name. And uh, so it's right at the, pretty close to the confluence of the Guadalupe and San Antonio River. And uh, it's uh, native prairie uh country basically coastal prairie and we've tried to maintain that uh through the generations and i'm actually the fifth generation to to manage uh the property the cattle company and uh and and the land and uh, we also have a uh a lease ranch down in refugio and b county that we have leased uh from the same families our family has since 1932 and it's a pretty large ranch so we run the three properties uh in conjunction with each other all together and and uh uh have cattle and and uh and wildlife uh, recreational hunting enterprise on uh, on all the properties and all the properties uh probably 99 percent of it is uh, uh native native pasture uh native landscape so yeah, that's amazing, and I know you you got to be excited of, you know, having the sixth generation with Augie there helping you and and keeping that you know that that tradition and and uh, passing down to the next generation and working uh, towards that. And when we really think about sustainability of the you know the ranch itself, um, you know, this topic about sustainable beef production, um, you know, is a, is a topic that's really hot, um, you know, in the cattle ranching business right now. So. You know, Bob, what does, you know, that term mean to you? Well, uh, it, uh, it, it affects us, I think, pretty directly in that, uh, in many ways, Chad, it, that, uh, you know, the, the three stools of the, uh, three-legged stool of the, of the sustainability uh, idea theories are, are the economics and the, uh, environmental stability uh, and social uh, community uh, social uh, kind of uh, stability also um, and all three of those you know we feel are pretty important for our operation um, you know we've got to have uh, economically successful operation to be able to take care of our property 
to be able to continue to uh, to provide for our family and and uh, that we're we're able to be here and and uh, and manage the property and and uh, steward it. Um, and you know we're not we we will never be able to do it unless we have a healthy environment out there. And uh, the healthier it is, the better our operation is going to be the more successful and prosperous our operation is going to be. So uh, we, I, I've tried to instill that in uh, certainly in my children and uh, my first cousins who are involved with us in the ranch company. I think of, uh, I've got a pretty good uh, uh, feeling about that also and a pretty good understanding of, of, of all of that. And so uh, going forward, you know, if we're going to continue, uh, to try to keep this property together intact, which I think is very important for a lot of different reasons, for uh, a lot of the different uh, public benefits that it uh, creates and downstream water and, and uh, wildlife diversity and uh, native grass diversity and, and uh, you know, helping with a lot of the species health. And uh, so, you know, we, we want to continue to, to try to uh, address those sustainability issues and the sustainability programs in general, uh, you know, make a lot of sense to us and to, to me and my family, just for those reasons. Uh, on the social uh, side of it, you know, we've got a lot of long-term uh, employees with our operation that, uh, you know, have actually multiple generation also. And uh, we feel like, you know, being able to maintain a, a good, strong economic uh, business and uh, provide for employment of some of these folks, we, we kind of feel like we're, uh, we're doing our contribution to the, to the community. And, this, and as well as the environmental health of the, of the property, Chad, is, uh, you know, in, in our area of Victoria County and, and the counties downstream, we're, we're as a crow flies only about 25 miles from uh, the first bay down there. So uh, we know that our water quantity and our water quality is a, uh, is a very com important component uh, within the area. So, uh, you know, we would like to uh, try to maintain this in a good, healthy grasslands. Yeah, I mean, I think that's great, Bob. You know, you know, think about you know, the name of this podcast is, is called Beyond the Fence Line. And I really named it around that. Um, you know, you basically define why, I, why we named it that. You know, it's, it's about this private land stewardship that you're doing on your ranch and have done it for generations and generations and generations. And it's all those public benefits that people have, you know, just don't realize of the clean water, the open space, uh, clean air, uh, the wildlife management and all those benefits and um, yeah, I just you know I appreciate appreciate you and your family and, and what you do and provide uh, for the community you know also Bob I know you know you're the president of the global roundtable uh, for sustainable beef and I appreciate your leadership um, in that role as well sure so also you know talking about leadership components you know you've served as you know, president of both the Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association and the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. 
um, you know, what have been some of the ranching trends you've seen during your tenure and uh, in, in these leadership positions for both organizations? Well, you know, uh, the two organizations are both, uh, you know, I think have a, a lot of heritage there and, and a lot of great history there. And, you know, my involvement with the organizations has, uh, uh, has, has always been a big interest to me uh, for a lot of different regions. A lot of it uh, just to kind of stay up on, on the trends and, and uh, different things that are happening uh, as we go along in, in, the, in the ranching industry and in the beef industry. And uh, I think these organizations are doing a real good job of kind of keeping up with that. Uh, both organizations are incorporating and embracing the, the, uh, the sustainability uh, conversation and, and the sustainability fields out there. And they've, they've got people and they've got staff that are, that are working on some of these programs. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, that's, that's very encouraging to me going forward. Uh, as far as just trends in ranching uh i'm probably gonna bleed into one of your other topics later chat on this a little bit but uh you know uh 20 years or maybe 15 years ago i guess you know when we talked about uh permanent conservation easements there was a considerable amount of pushback within uh within the landowner community and uh so it was a pretty brave step uh, when Blair Fitzsimmons kind of uh, spearheaded that whole idea of having a land trust, and uh, it it got uh, it, it took a long time, but I think it's been pretty well accepted, and uh, within uh, the state associations and of course at the national, you know, they have a, a partnership with Land, Rangeland Trust, and uh, those it all kind of started uh, those Rangeland Trusts in the West all kind of started at the national cattlemen's, you know, and with us different members uh, throughout that organization. So I, th I think these, these organizations have really embraced, uh, you know, good positive stewardship and, and they really always have, it's just kind of evolved, <clears throat> you know, uh, a lot uh, in the last, you know, two or three decades, I guess. And, and uh, which is great. And I think just kind of making, making people more aware of, uh, of what happens out on private land stewardship. And uh, so I, it's, it's, it's a win-win deal there. So. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, I think, um, you know, I think too, you know, maybe add a little bit to, to where you, you know, kind of going. I mean, you've really been involved with TALT, you know, since its inception and, and served on that steering committee that, you know, led to that formation at all. You know, can you provide a little bit maybe more perspective about those early days and then, um, you know, how talk came to be? Sure. Well, uh, you know, the idea was to involve, uh, we thought it very important to involve the, the uh, from the get-go, the first three largest landowner organizations within the state, and that would being Texas Southwestern Cattle Raisers, Texas Farm Bureau, and the uh, Texas Wildlife Association. And uh, lots of great leaders within all three of those organizations and, and a lot of good programs. And 
So, <clears throat> you know, we really kind of had to uh, kind of find some people within each of those organizations that, uh, that really uh, had the positive open mindset about, uh, about uh, the importance of, of having a, a land trust and, and being able to, uh, to do agricultural based uh, conservation easements within Texas. And uh, so that, that, that was kind of uh, a little difficult to do for a while. And then we kind of came together with the steering committee and we had a, a really, really good group of folks from all three organizations that were willing to put in some time. And of course, uh, as you know, Blair Fitzsimmons was, uh, was kind of spearheading and, and, you know, helping us along the way and, uh, and making sure that nobody dropped the ball is and making sure that we had the momentum to continue to go forward. So, uh, that was great. And we, we got our bylaws together and there was a, a couple of meetings that, uh, that, you know, there, there was some animosity and there was some, uh, they, not not within the cult, but within some of the different organizations, there was some uh, some controversy there and a little some pushback for sure. And uh, you know, we a couple of us had to make some kind of strong decisions within the organizations that uh, we feel this is important and we feel that uh, we need to make this first step. And it was a, a very important step and and, and crucial for. Uh, for landowners in Texas to be able to have uh, have this tool within their toolbox if they if they feel that they want to do a conservation easement and uh, you know or, or take advantage of uh, some of the programs that were coming out for purchasing development rights and uh, you know the the main idea being that uh, you know we really wanted to have, you know, if you do a perpetual easement, you, you really kind of feel it's important to have people on the board of the land trust that holds your easement, uh, that, you know, they're, they're like-minded people. They're, they're peers, they're, they're folks that understand uh, uh, agricultural working lands like you, like, uh, you do. And, and uh, so it's, that was a really very important component of the whole thing and kind of the driving uh, forest that, that kept us all going. And so um, I, I served on the steering committee and which was a great experience. And once they kind of got it put together, I was busy doing some other things with uh, national cattlemen's and, and so I didn't get on the board for like 10 years later. And, uh, and the, that original, that first board, uh, they had to work pretty hard, you know? And so they, they got some of those first easements in and it was, uh, I think it was a struggle uh, for a couple of years there, but uh, as you can see, it's uh, it's come along well, and and the acceptance of this the whole idea, uh, I think is is um, is pretty overwhelming. You know, now within all three of those organizations, it's uh, very well accepted, and and uh, I think it's gonna not not have not be as be be a little more seamless going forward in any changes that have to be made or uh, any things that need to evolve, you know, within those organizations. But it was a fun experience and I was really happy to be part of it. Yeah, it's like conversations I've had with Blair, Bob is, you know, I told her, you know, just amazing, you know, uh, you know, her leadership and, and 
you know, persistence and passion in it because in those early days, kind of getting everybody on board. And like you said, uh, you know, it's just unknown. And, and I think, you know, there's a miss, uh, perception out there that, you know, not all easements are the same and how they're put together. And, you know, I think it was, you know, I appreciate you and the rest of the steering committee and definitely Blair of, you know, putting together, you know, a working lands, ag focused, um, land trust to, to provide a tool for, for other fellow ranchers out there. So, you know, you, we've, you know, Bob, we've actually served on boards together with the National Grazing Land Coalition and, and others. And, you know, you're, yeah. you're extremely busy and, and, you know, and pulled from multiple directions for your leadership. So, and as you said, you helped on that steering committee and then kind of came back, you know, 10 or so years later um, to talk. Um, so, you know, you have, you know, why did you choose to, you know, to come back and serve on the board? Well, you know, I, I kind of watched the uh, activities of TALT uh, during those years and, and certainly took notice of all the, you know, a lot of the successes they were having. And, uh, and I, I just kind of felt that, uh, you know, if, if, if I'm going to have, if we're going to have this, this tool available to, uh, to our ranching community and to my family, uh, you know, I, I just kind of, kind of like my leadership with the cattle organizations. It's, you know, there comes a time to give back, Chad, and uh, not that, you know, there's that much that I, that I have to offer, but, uh, you know, I think it's important that, uh, you know, if we en enjoy the fruits of these labors that we kind of try to, try to give back to the different associations and, uh, and also to, you know, just to kind of make sure that the, uh, that the, the, the original intent and idea, uh, of, of taught is, uh, continues to, uh, the, the mission and, and the vision of it continues on the path, on a good pathway. And, uh, and I think that's important in, and I feel like our board at Talt really, uh, really feels feels the importance of that and understands the importance of that. Yeah, we have a great great board and great leadership from that board, and and um, the vision to, you know, you know I think help even build Talk even further, you know, and be able to provide other tools and in the toolbox to help help uh, you know landowners in the future and and uh, be successful with that legacy. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, you know one of the things, you know, the board's kind of, you know, kind of on that topic is really looking at right now is this white paper about resilient landscapes and the roles that Texas working lands play in making, you know, sure that we remain resilient into the future. And what does, you know, what does this really mean to you, Bob, from this resilient landscapes and working lands and that, that perspective? Well, uh, a lot of different components come in there, Chad, but uh, I certainly think, you know, maintaining a resilient landscape is, is important for a lot of different reasons. It's important for the, uh, the economic success of uh, private landowners and, uh, you know, cattle operators. It's important for uh, the, the, the health of our of our lands the environmental health of our lands of our wildlife of these different landscapes um and 
you know, it's, it's, it's important for the public as well, because uh, there's a tremendous amount of public benefits that, uh, that we can provide. And I think we're, we're just kind of scratching the surface a little bit on that right now. Uh, you know, as far as uh, the carbon sequestration, uh, economic, uh, environmental services and, and things of that nature that, uh, that are starting to come together. You're starting to hear a lot more about, uh, and if that's a, if that's a market that, uh, landowners can possibly, uh, garnish a little bit more, uh, revenue to be able to take care of their properties from then, uh, then I, you know, and, and keep their properties together. Uh, I think we need to pursue continue research with that. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, as, as in y'all's white paper, y'all, uh, clarified really well, I think the, uh, some of the, the stumbling blocks ahead of us to, to be able to have a good, uh, functional ecosystem services market. And, uh, you know, so we've, we've got some work ahead of us on that, but I don't think it's insurmountable. And, uh, you know, the other part of that is uh, when you talk about the economics of the of the landowners there, if, uh, if they've got a good, healthy uh, uh, business going and able to keep that land together and uh, able to show the, the different uh, heirs, you know, and, and my family's a, probably a great example of it. We, I, I have some first cousins that I'm very close to that are that are equal landowners with uh, my brother and I and uh, on our property. And, uh, you know, some of them are urban dwellers and, uh, you know, they just, you never know what's going to happen. You know, they may have uh, some needs for, for uh, in the future that they, if they don't really understand what's going on in the ranch and they don't really feel like it's providing them very much benefit or, or they don't feel the importance of keeping it together and, and want to split it up. And, and, uh, you know, the only way to do that is divide the property and, and, uh, and sell it. And, and, uh, your, your agricultural values, uh, immediately go down in my opinion. And, um, you know, and those, those kind of properties, when that happens, it just, uh, a lot of the land goes, goes out of agriculture and it, it, uh, you know, you're, you're losing working land. So you're losing property that's, uh, that's contributing to the, to the, the nation's food and, and, uh, you're losing land in the, in the wildlife and populations that are on it. And, uh, it's usually, you know, keeping it open space and keeping it big is, is always going to be better, certainly for the land and for the public benefits that come from the land, uh, whether it's water or, these economic services we're talking about. And so I think it's, uh, it's, it's certainly going to be worth pursuing. And I think it can, could be, uh, could be very beneficial to being able to keep, uh, open space and, and some of these, this, these lands that, uh, that are, that are endangered of, uh, of being fragmented. Uh, but one of the, one of the more important things is, is, uh, education of, of a lot of the landowners too that are that are maybe not as attached to it any as as much as they were uh, so that's you know anytime we can get some 
some uh, education to out some information about these different things out. I think it's beneficial. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, there's just so much value of these ecosystem services and, um, you know, this clean water and open space and recreation, all, I mean, just, it goes on and on, right? A long list of these values that these properties bring. And, you know, it's some of these values are hard to, you know, put a, a dollar figure on. Uh, I don't know, Bob, if you, if you saw just last week, um, our counterpart there in California, the California Rangeland Trust, um, did a study on the value of ecosystem services on basically about the same size that we have here at Talter, uh, around 300,000 acres that they have under easements uh, yeah. with the University of Berkeley, uh, California Berkeley. And they, through Berkeley's work, um, and this is an underestimate because they don't have all the figures and numbers, but on that 300,000 acres in, there in California on rangelands, they're providing over a billion dollars annually, right? And so that's 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 real value. That's real numbers. Yeah. And uh, you know, so I'm I'm excited on that work and would love to kind of start building upon that work here in Texas to to really start articulating those benefits here from um, here at Talt. Um, so it's like some exciting work. Um, you know, you mentioned too, Bob, this, this disconnect, right, from urban and, you know, we've seen it over the years of people getting further and further disconnected from agriculture. But, you know, really when we think about this pandemic we're experiencing right now, um, I think we've underscored the importance of the food supply chain in the, in the U.S. And, you know, what are your observations about the role of ranchers and working lands uh, during these times during this pandemic? Well, uh, you know, there's definitely, uh, if we don't, uh, if we don't continue to enhance and increase agriculture production, whether it's beef production or, uh, and, and that's, and that's really, uh, you know, uh, beef production where, where livestock or harvesting, uh, plant materials that are not really uh, necessarily edible by humans or able to be utilized for humans. That, that is really one of the better, uh, scenarios for, for being able to increase, increase our global food production, uh, around the world. And, and, uh, so when you see all the negative, uh, narratives about, uh, what beef does the environment and, and, uh, people espousing that it's bad and, uh, you know, for, for the climate and it's, you know, causing climate change or whatever, uh, you know, it just kind of, uh, I think it, it behooves us to make sure that we continue to have the right science that, uh, and be able to show a lot of these urban folks that, uh, this, that's, that's not really the case. And we actually are, uh, uh, we're, we're more a part of the solution than we are a part of the problem it comes to the climate change and so uh you know it's 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 very important that we continue to try to uh get that word out and try to educate uh, a lot of the urban masses and make sure that they're they're getting the correct information and you know there's a lot of a lot of misinformation going out so uh you know i, I really truly believe that uh 
the cattle producers throughout the world are probably uh, have a great opportunity uh, to be able to contribute and, and help uh, uh, the climate uh, issues and, 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 not, and not be part of it, the problem, you know. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, we have one of the lo lowest carbon footprint here in North America uh, than anywhere else in the world. And it's because we're very efficient producers and we have good genetics and we've uh, paid a lot of attention to uh, being able to be efficient producers through the years. And, and that's honestly is what's going to, uh, what's going to help us get to that point where, where we're, we're not really contributing to the problem. So, and uh, through a lot of the different round tables, I think that uh, we will be able to, uh, to kind of uh, put the word out and help help educate some of the areas that uh, may not uh, be be as efficient and in, uh, in understanding what that means and how that can really really help everybody in the in the grand scheme of things. So. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's just it's really about us telling our story as well. You know, we've we've we're very humbled and we just keep you know put our head down and do all that work and. Like you said, we look at you know the 30% reduction in carbon footprint since 1975, and you know we, we just haven't really told that story, and people understand um, you know all that hard work that that the producers have done. So Bob, you know I really you know we started this conversation by noting that you're a fifth generation rancher. You followed in the footsteps of your forebears in so many ways, from carrying on the tradition of your ranching heritage. You know, to serving the leadership roles of key organizations like TSCRA and NCBA and, and you know, on our board here at TALT. You know, what, what does it really mean for you to carry on these traditions? Well, um, you know, uh, TALT and the, the idea of, uh, of keeping the land uh, intact and, uh, and reducing the fragmentation is a uh, I mean, it's it's uh, it's really become a, a center point of conversation for so many different ranching families, and certainly certainly my family as well. And uh, going forward, you know, we uh, in our operation when we talk about uh, long range planning and some strategic planning from the future and for the future generations, that's that's a key component of what do we need to do to make sure we don't have to uh, split this land up or sell this property uh, for whatever reason to, to uh, uh, you know, make some family member happier or bail them out or whatever. Uh, you know, so that, that's, that's become a very key component for us uh, in, you know, understanding that and education of that for some of my, my uh, family that are, more urban dwellers than myself, uh, you know, has, has really been positive. And so uh, we talk about that a lot. Uh, I think these livestock organizations and landowner organizations have really embraced that whole idea uh, in a big way. And it's, uh, it's, it's a part of their, their driving force as well. And, uh, and they are, they are the organizations that can really uh, put together really good 
programs for education and of the public for education of the uh, public, whether it's through the checkoff programs or different policy uh, that they have or uh, legislation that they pursue, and uh, you know, and so I think there's a there's going to be a bigger bigger need for folks to get active and stay involved. And uh, as as far as talk, you know, uh, that whole mission and vision of of that organization and and, and making sure that we have uh, have board members there that uh, understand uh, the inner workings of working lands, uh, whether it be wildlife operations or cattle operations or what have you, or farming operations, you know, is so important uh, that, we, that we have people like that. And, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time at tall kind of kind of vetting everybody who we're looking at and and I think everybody uh, everybody kind of puts that hat on as far as recruitment and, and nominating folks to to make sure we have the, a really good board and I think we have an excellent board in uh, there at Talt and so uh, it's uh, it's it's really one of the more enjoyable boards that I've served on so and it's because we've got such good good folks on there. Well, Bob, I just want to thank you again for, you know, taking time out of your busy schedule to just visit and, and uh, you know, more importantly, thank you for your friendship and, and your leadership and uh, being a solution um, to all these issues we have for it. So I really appreciate appreciate that, your perspective and, and everything you've provided to the industry. So um, you know, I hope everybody, you know, enjoyed this episode and can join us again for our, our next episode. You know, we kind of stepped back. Our very first episode was with Blair talking about, you know, the TALT, uh, just the beginning and, and the stages and, and building TALT from its organization. And our second episode was with Dr. Roel Lopez, really talking about what I would say the why, talking about the land trends and population trends and all of this you know, these, these issues coming down the pipeline to, you know, hinder, potentially hinder our freedom to operate and, and uh, keep our legacy. And then, you know, Bob with us today, really giving us this producer perspective, which was really key um, and, and very insightful listening from Bob on his thoughts. Our next episode is going to be with Bart Fisher. You know, Dr. Fisher, it's going to be more around the policy side. You know, Bart serves as a co-director of the Agricultural and Food Policy Center here, here at Texas A&M University and as a research assistant professor in the Department of Agricultural Economics. Um, you know, I've, I've worked with Bart for many, many years. Um, before Bart came to A&M, he worked uh, for the Committee on Agriculture in the U.S. House of Representatives. And he worked under, you know, our very own uh, Congressman Conaway there out of Midland, and he was the deputy staff director and chief economist. And, you know, Bart's, Bart's helped put the, you know, 2014-2018 farm bills together. And, you know, Bart himself is also a fifth generation uh, producer um, out of Oklahoma. So hope everybody can join us and, and uh, listen, to, listen to conversation with Bart on, on policy. So again, thank you, Bob, and, and appreciate Appreciate your time. Thank you, Chad. I enjoyed it. 
Beyond the Fence Line is brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust, dedicated to conserving the Texas heritage of agricultural lands, wildlife habitats, and natural resources. Find out more at txaglandtrust.org.